California. What's up, everybody? Today is Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. This is A Talk in the Attic, and I'm your host, Kirk Ross. I hope you're feeling courageous today. Because whether by design or by something far more sinister, you have stumbled into our first ever A Talk in the Attic Halloween Spooktacular! (laughs) Brave listeners, please prepare yourselves for an episode filled with terror, horror, and any other synonyms too scary to recite. The spine-tingling tales you're about to hear are inspired by real-life communication I began receiving last night. This communication came by way of the spook spook spookiest communication method of all. No, not the Ouija board. The text message. Sure, texts are wonderfully efficient little messengers, aren't they? But they're everywhere. And their senders know when they've been read and when they've been ignored. You can be in the safest, coziest place of all, unwinding with your loved ones, maybe even unwinding all by your lonesome. You draw a warm bath. Perhaps a dim candle finds its way into the mix. Your aching feet are longing for the moment you get to dip them in that warm bath water. As you lean back into the tub, you can feel your stress slowly dissipate, starting at your heels and moving upwards. Now your calves are relaxed. Next it's your knees. Won't be long now before even your brain is free from the chaos of the day. Ah. Peace. Told you texts are spooky. Earlier in the night, I had cast a small net to a few friends asking for a little input on what they personally find spooky. Admittedly, my unsolicited text in and of itself was intrusive as well, but not as intrusive as when the responses started rolling in. Imagine lying next to your loved one, trying to get some shut-eye, letting the sweet sounds of grisly true crime details take you off to la-la land, and suddenly... As if by some satanic communal of spirits, the terrifying results began pouring in through the borderline paranormal portal that is the smartphone. My yo, hit me with something spooky, began receiving responses from every nook and cranny of interpretation available. Death. Why were the pyramids built? Public speaking. Mass extinction. Disinformation campaigns. Gluten. Mixed among these equally and uniquely scary responses were a few that stood out. First, my creative and hilarious nephew, Holden. Shout out to the big sandwich itself. What's up, Hoagie? But his answer was so poetic, so wise beyond its years. I think the spookiest thing is an eerie setting, he said. So rather than skeletons or spiders, think of a dark room with cobwebs in it. And he was so right. A room filled with evidence of what could be spooky rather than what we can already see is spooky. Think of a dark crime scene that's casual, realistic, but also isn't popping out. Something that just isn't settling in just right. Bravo, Holden. You so quickly highlighted the foundation of the psychological condition we call fear, that what we're most afraid of is that which we don't know. So insightful. But enough of me bragging about my cool nephew. Instead, let's take his concept and put the pen to paper in what we're calling Holden's first day. But wait, we can't get into Holden's first day, not before we first start the show. So first, let's start the show.
all the crime scenes to be assigned on his first day, Detective Holden Rogers stumbled into a real doozy. All his life he wanted to solve murder cases. But even he wasn't ready for this 187. He pulls up to the boarded up high rise, turns off the car, and looks sharply into his rearview mirror. All right, Holden. Today's the day. He steps out of his car, straightens his hat, stiffens his collar, and puts on his tough guy mug. This apartment complex went belly up back in 2020, never housing a single tenant before the virus took its toll. But in the 12 years since, wait, let's make that a spookier number, but in the 13 years since downtown became a ghost town, plenty of folks took up residence in the dreary building. The young detective carefully steps over the lowest yellow ribbon of police tape before reaching for his hat and ducking below the next one up. He's in the lobby now, which is quiet. Dust covers the sprawling marble tiles and granite countertops. The fluorescent lights overhead flicker rhythmically. On the right side of the lobby, a bank of elevators sit side by side. The one on the right looks like it's been pried open with a crowbar partially revealing an empty car inside it, almost but not fully down to ground level. Holden peeks into the cabin and surveys the scene. To his left, he immediately observes bloody thumbprints all over the closed door button. Whoever left this blood here, he thought to himself, was running from someone. Fascinating, Holden says aloud, just like that. This would become his catchphrase in future stories. Suddenly, at the exact moment that the flickering lights drop out, the neighboring elevator kicks into gear. The digital floor indicator is confirming his worst nightmare as the number quickly drops from 12 to 8. And now 3. He reaches for the holster on his right hip and unsnaps it. Alright, well that was fun and spooky. Thanks for the inspiration, Holden. I'm a, little sp- I'm a little hot now. I've got a challenge for you, Holden. Pick up the story right from here. Write what happens next, get it to me, and I'll work it into a future episode. Deal? Cool. Okay, now we move to part two of our first ever Halloween Spooktacular! <laughs> part two, the Mandela Effect. <laughs> Many of you already know this concept, but allow me to explain. The Mandela Effect is a phenomenon marked by widespread, specific, false memories of events that either never happened or happened very differently from than what the memories suggest. Let's start with the namesake of this phenomenon, Nelson Mandela. As many of you know, anti-apartheid South African leader Nelson Mandela died back in the late 1980s. Unfortunately, many of you are wrong, because Nelson Mandela actually died in 2013. Yet, somehow, throngs of people remember specific details about his passing decades earlier. This one doesn't pass a smell test for me, at least, because I don't recall any death but his actual one more recently. So let's move on to one that did apply to me. The factoid that got me into researching this concept is from those lovable bears from grade school. That's right, I'm talking about the Berenstein Bears. I can remember reading those books back in the day. I even had a few at home. The Berenstein Bears go to the doctor. The Berenstein Bears get in a fight. The Berenstein Bears watch too much TV. Just to name a few. The first installment of this massive collection of children's books hit the shelves in 1962. And now, some 60 years, 300 titles, 260 million copies later, I must report to you the terrifying reality that you're misremembering. 
that we're all misremembering. Because it was actually the Berenstain Bears who went to the doctor, got in a fight, and who watched too much TV. The Berenstain Bears? I mean, I remember it specifically being Berenstain. I can picture the book covers now, can't you? In fact, I long suspected that this family of anthropomorphic bears was Jewish. Or am I also misremembering what I used to consider two of my favorite installments? The Berenstain Bears confront their Holocaust-denying neighbors... And also, the Berenstein Bears control Hollywood. Don't you remember those two? Anyway, but it's all wrong, because it's not the Berenstein Bears, it's the Berenstain Bears. Right? It's, it's weird, right? Another common example of the Mandela effect that applies to me, I distinctly remember a movie called Shazam, starring comedian Sinbad as a genie, coming out when I was in elementary school. Not to be confused with Kazam, starring Shaquille O'Neal around the same time where he was a genie, but I remember them both. The problem is Sinbad never starred in a movie called Shazam, and as far as the record show, at least, he never even played a genie. This particular entry into the Mandela Effect narrative has been explained away by what's called a confabulation of memories, one that mixes words and imagery up into a mashup of mistaken beliefs. Sinbad did once play a role in which he wore old-timey clothes, kind of like a genie, and Kazam did come out at the height of Sinbad's popularity. But you know who else was super popular back then? Shaq himself. And there's no way I'm confusing Sinbad for Shaq. Sinbad was like, white guys always be tripping. Shaq would say things like, I always be dunking. So if it's not that we're all collectively misremembering these tidbits from our past, then to what can we attribute these inconsistencies? Well, what if we're all living in a simulated reality? Each of us is like a virtual avatar, like a video game character, with our own backstories, our own narratives, our own options for our path forward in life. What if what we think of as the natural earth around us is really just a realistic rendering of what the natural earth used to look like before we destroyed the planet? Or maybe there is no earth at all and there never was. Maybe it's neither flat nor round, it's just a fictional environment created in order to give us somewhere to dwell, somewhere to struggle, somewhere to triumph. After all, without the simulated Earth, then we would just exist in a blank, white void, right? By the way, this simulation theory is something I half believe in. In fact, Elon Musk famously said that the chances that we're not living in a simulation is one in billions. One in billions. And if it is true, then we could contribute our supposed false memories from the Mandela effect to what they really are. Small differences in software builds as a result of version upgrades. Maybe in earlier visions of the simulation, they were the Berenstein Bears. But when they opened the code back up to, I don't know, fix a mass extinction or something, someone accidentally fat-fingered the keyboard and made it Berenstain Bears. How do you remember these bears? Did they spend their Saturdays at Temple or at a garbage dump? And what about Mandela himself? And perhaps most importantly, what about Sinbad? Has anyone reached out to Simbad himself on the matter? Or would that result in some sort of complete crash of the operating system? I don't know. Let me know your thoughts on this one. It's fun stuff, isn't it? I mean, I think it is. All right. I don't have a fully developed thought on this next creepy chapter, our third today, the Uncanny Valley. Back in 1970... Japanese robotics pioneer Masahiro Mori hypothesized that as artificial intelligence continues to advance, 
humans will likely react to them in an increasingly positive manner. Until, that is, our AI becomes too close to fully human in appearance, at which point a precipitous fall will occur, leaving us terribly uneasy. Essentially, the uncanny valley is the description of the graph that charts human likeness along the x-axis with likability along the y-axis. As robots become more and more human-like, we're going to like them more and more. But once they're too close to real, we start to notice and focus completely on all the minute reasons they're not real. And suddenly we're completely turned off and creeped out by them. Digital animators are well aware of this theory as well, and all of us are too. Even if we hadn't heard it named as this concept before now. Let's compare two CGI movies. On one hand, The Incredibles. On the other, Polar Express. In the former, the superhero family all look unmistakably human, sure, but their proportions and their features are far from that which we observe in fellow man. In the latter, however, characters from the classic Christmas book look almost identical to us. And that's why many of us didn't like that version of the story we all love. If I wanted to see Tom Hanks captain a locomotive to the North Pole, then we could have simply had Tom Hanks act in that role. But CGI Tom Hanks is terribly unsettling. Somewhere mixed up in his dead eyes, his silky smooth stride, and his gist-off speech lies something sinister. Truly eerie to watch play out on the big screen. But if it's the uncanny valley that we're talking about, and as we can all remember from our physical geography learnings, a valley occurs between two distinct peaks. What that tells us is that on the other side of creepily realistic CGI Tom Hanks lies an even more realistic version. And if he's completely indistinguishable from real Tom Hanks, then we'll like him again. And who doesn't love real Tom Hanks, huh? AI experts and digital animators alike agree that we haven't yet reached the point in robotics design or animation at which robots are indecipherably human. I wonder if we'll ever get there. Maybe our ability to detect the existence of one's soul is truly the skill that's on display here. That would explain why we think a soulless, human-looking robot is terrifying, same as we think a soulless, actual human is terrifying. Of course, if we are in fact living in a simulation, then that would mean that each of us is also AI. And really good AI at that. I mean, what if real Tom Hanks is really just AI Tom Hanks, but on the other side of the uncanny valley? That's kind of going to do it for today's Halloween spooktacular. But is Halloween even happening this year? More specifically, haven't we been kind of living in some sort of full-on Halloween year? Look at the pumpkin-like complexion of POTUS 45. Look at the fact that we've already been wearing masks everywhere we go. And then think about how frightened each of us is by the different outcomes that could come from next Tuesday's election. No matter what side of it you're on. You're truly concerned for what the future of this country will look like as a result of next week's vote. And that's spooky enough without celebrating Halloween, isn't it? I mean, propaganda is scary, media bias is scary, unemployment rates are scary, deforestation is scary, confirmation bias is scary, checking our bank account, that's scary sometimes. Maybe this year for Halloween, we should commit to searching for what's not scary. Nah, F that noise. Let's let the terror reign over us, do what my friends and I did for so many Halloweens, Trick your parents into picking up the must-be-18-to-rent Frankenhooker 
and help figure out once and for all, where's his Johnson? A bit esoteric of a joke to end it on, I know. So for those of you less well-versed in the cinematic masterpiece that is Frankenhooker, I'm going to try leaving you with a bit of a little bit broader appeal. I've got a couple different costume ideas rolling around in my jack-o'-lantern. The leading candidate is YouTube music sensation Mark Rebelay. Check the show notes for a link to that guy if you're not already familiar. It's hilarious. But right behind Rebelay, if I do decide to go a scary route, I'm thinking about going with the intimidating and terrifying Leslie Stahl. What are you guys dressing up as? Here are my predictions for the top three most common Halloween costumes for 2020. Number one, Trump. Number two, Tiger King. Number three, COVID itself. And if there is anything to be gleaned from this top three prediction, it's that 2020 is a year that hopefully someday gets erased from future versions of the simulation, just like they did with Sinbad's Oscar-winning turn in Shazam. Have a safe and happy Halloween, y'all, and peace out.